morning, church. Let's see, am I on? Can you, there we go. Uh, two things I want to let you know about, uh, two things that you need to be aware of. Uh, the first one is one that we missed in our prayer request, so I want to make sure you know. Uh, Leland Mann this past week had a heart attack in Iowa, which was quite scary, uh, quite difficult. He is back. He's doing a lot better. Uh, Jeannie and him were able to get the necessary treatment that he needs, but that's something to keep on your prayer request so as you're praying this week. Uh, know that. The second thing is, when Alex was up here talking about these dishes that are up on stage, uh, there's a little bit of context here. Uh, so a lot of these dishes were in the coat closet, so you can know that. But the second thing is, Rick has been telling me that we got to get rid of these dishes for weeks now. And I've been ignoring him, I've been pushing it off, but no more. If these dishes aren't gone this week, I'm taking them to Goodwill. So that's, that's your warning right here over in that box. Come take a look after church. Now, to begin this morning, I want to tell you about a friend of mine uh, who I don't think any of you know, but every time I say that, somebody does, so we'll see. I want to tell you about my friend Lee Edwards. So, oh yeah, good, good, good. So Lee's a friend from college, a guy from Texas. He's one of my best friends in the world. He called me this week. Uh, every time he calls, we always have like a 20 or 30 minute conversation, catching up, seeing how his kids are, seeing how my kids are, you know, talking about his job, all those different things. We met early my freshman year of college. I went to Lubbock Christian University. We met because his dorm room was about two doors down from mine. And he was the kind of guy that everybody knew. He was popular with everyone. And, and you think, okay, so he's pretty popular. No, he was popular with everyone. He was the teacher's favorites. He was the kid's favorites. He had friends everywhere. He was friends with the athletes on campus. And I don't know about the schools that you went to, but the athletes were, were, were a little different on our campus, not because they were bad, but because they had their own schedule that was very rigorous all the time. And so most of the kids on campus didn't associate with them because we all didn't have schedules. We had to be in the dorms by 1 a.m. They had to be asleep by 12. Didn't make sense. It's not the way we worked. But Lee was friends with all of those people. He even dated some of the athletes. He was involved in so many activities across campus. He was the president of the student body. He was just popular. At one point, he was the RA, one of the resident advisors in the dorms, and their responsibility is to make sure that all the kids are in each night. And so there are about 15 RAs in our dorm and he is the one that knew every single person in every single room and could tell you a story about something they had done together. That's the kind of guy he was. I'm not that kind of guy. I, I, I'm lucky if 90% of you know my name, and it's on the screen half the time. <laughs> I get it. I'm not this outgoing, bubbly personality that he has. Lee had so many friends. One of my favorite stories about him is I went into Walmart with him about 15 times throughout college, and I guarantee you, every single time, somebody would stop us in Walmart to talk to Lee. Sometimes it was students at school, which makes a little sense, but sometimes it was cashiers that he had dealt with before. He had been through their line, and they remembered him, so they would come up and talk to him. Sometimes it was stalkers, stalkers people that stock shelves. <laughs> Just hear that clearly. Enunciate, I know. 
But it was incredible. Anywhere you went with Lee, somebody knew Lee. That's amazing. I've always been impressed with Lee's ability to attract people to him. Maybe you have a friend who is like that. Maybe you are like that. That would be awesome. I'm not. And so when I think of Lee, I think of one of the characteristics of Jesus that I don't have. One of the character traits of Jesus. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We've been in this series on the conspiracy of grace. We've been talking about how God has this big plan to draw people to himself. And I want to look at how Jesus did that. That's how I want to bring this home uh, this morning. So Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus has just preached the greatest sermon ever preached of all time. This is the sermon upon which all other sermons are compared. He has talked about everything under the sun. He's covered a wide range of topics. And I think it would be helpful if sometime we would just memorize that sermon because I think it would do us a world of good if we just tried to live it out. But Jesus preaches this incredible sermon and then... That's when his ministry really starts. And Jesus, coming down off this mount, goes and he encounters this wide range of people. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. First person Jesus encounters. There was a leper who came to him and knelt before him. I don't know about you as a kid, uh, but when I was a kid, I had no idea what a leper was. I honestly thought that they were saying leopard. And so I I didn't understand the story, didn't understand the context, thought it was leopard. It's not. Uh, I was asking my dad about this one time, and we were sitting out on our front porch. We had this neighbor who lived right next door, and our neighbor had this disease called Proteus disease. And if you've ever seen the show The Elephant Man, it's that. It's this idea where your skin and your bones just grow at a rate that's not healthy, it's not normal, and it's a very challenging way to have to present yourself to the world. That's how it was to be a leper. A leper was not only a social outcast, they were religious outcasts as well. If you had leprosy, you were seen as being unclean. You were seen as being in sin. And the first person Jesus encounters after preaching this incredible sermon is a leper. A leper who comes and kneels before him. In verse 5, Jesus continues, he entered Capernaum and a centurion came to him. A centurion. Well, it's important to remember, Jesus was a Jew. And the Jews were living in a land that they believed was their own, that they believed God had given them, but the Romans occupied it. They were exiles in their own land. And this guy was a military leader of the oppressors. A centurion is not someone that Jews would look up to. They would despise this guy. It's worse than a Republican with a Democrat. It's worse than a gopher with a badger. And it's worse than a packer with a Viking. And I know some of you are a little sour about that right now, so we'll leave it alone. Either way, A centurion comes up to Jesus. Jesus has just walked along, and a leper and a centurion. This is not the normal cast of people that you would expect. Third person, Matthew chapter 8, verse 19. 
a scribe came to him. Okay, so now we're getting in the ballpark a little bit. Scribe is an important religious uh, position. It's something that has a lot of prestige. These scribes are known to be devout people. So when a scribe approaches Jesus, okay, he's questioning some of the stuff Jesus had to say. Good. Jesus continues, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Two demoniacs, and that's not a word we use a lot, but it's demon-possessed people, coming out of the tombs met him. Of course, Jesus is walking around attracting demon-possessed people. At the end of Matthew chapter 9, after they'd gone away, a mute demon-possessed person was brought to him. How you know a person is demon-possessed without verbal, I, I don't understand, but it's what happens. There's an article floating around the internet right now, and this is just for free. Just take this and do with it what you want. There's an article floating around the internet right now about the need for the Catholic Church to have more exorcists. Yeah, I know. That's, that was my response. What? You know, if you're looking for a job, there you go. Jesus tended to run into demon-possessed people with some sort of regularity, which is a little bit strange. But even the demons know who Jesus is, which is important. So Jesus encounters few demon-possessed people. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Just then, some people were carrying a paralytic lying on a bed. So Jesus is walking around, and oh, there's these guys that are carrying around this other guy who can't move on his own, cannot get around on his own. And his friends were faithfully carrying him around wherever he needed to go. Again, Jesus is just walking around. These are the people he's encountering. Next, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a tax collector named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. The guy got up and he followed him. Interesting to note, this is the book of Matthew. So that this story made it in. Not all that surprising. Jesus continues to go to dinner that night. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him. Now, we talked about the centurions a minute ago, that these were the oppressive people. But when you think of tax collectors, think of the oppressive people dealing with your money. Yeah, that's not going to make you any happier. And not only that, these were Jewish people that they had co-opted to deal with your money. These were traitors. These were outcasts. And then you've got sinners. That sinner is, a, is the best way to describe people? <laughs> that says something about their egregious sins. These people were blatant sinners. They were breakers of commandments. They were outcasts in society. And that's who Jesus is eating with. He continues, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him. Now, the synagogue was the center of the town for every Jewish community. It's a center of learning. This guy would have been important. He would have been revered. He would have been looked up to. He would have been sought after. And here he is kneeling at the feet of Jesus. And then finally, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. Two blind men. They keep following Jesus around, and they're annoying the disciples. That's, that's one of my favorite stories in this passage. They can't make it on their own. They're just following Jesus around, crying out for help. In two chapters, 
Jesus encounters all of these people who are receptive to him. So let me ask you a question. What do a leper, a centurion, few demoniacs, a paralyzed man, tax collectors, sinners, a leader of the synagogue, and blind men have in common? <laughs> For sure. They need Jesus. These people that Jesus reached were desperate. They were desperate for transformation. As I was reading this story, as I was reading through it, it was overwhelming that these people needed healing. They needed cleansing. Some of them needed friendship. Some of them needed... Some of them needed saving. Some of them just needed to know that somebody cared. They were beat down. They were oppressed. They were discouraged. They were mourning. They were suffering all the things in life that we hate. They were desperate. And in their desperation, they find Jesus. These weren't the only people Jesus encountered. Jesus continues to go on, and as the story goes, if you read through those chapters, and I, I would recommend you read through those chapters, just don't take me at my word, but as you read through those chapters, Jesus casts out these demons, and this guy, the demon's name is Legion, and he casts out these demons into pigs, and when he does this, the pigs run off the cliff, the townspeople come, and they say, hey, you got to get out of here. They're not receptive. These Gentile pig farmers... Jesus has cost them money. And no matter how good the deed that was done, money is more important than that person. Jesus is, is talking to the paralyzed man. He sees the faith of his friends and he reaches out and he says, listen, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes stand up and they say, hey, wait a minute. And they start quoting book, chapter, and verse about how Jesus is wrong. He can't forgive the man of their sins. Only God can do that. Their constant reading of the Bible has not been illumined by the Spirit of God. They have not begun to understand the heart of God. And when Jesus comes in contact with them, they get frustrated. Finally, some Pharisees come and they see Jesus having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. They're like... That's not right. Why is he eating with those people? Jesus wasn't interested in their pursuit of purity that came at the expense of people. So they get angry. So, again, what do Gentile pig farmers, Pharisees, and scribes have in common? It's fair. The people that get frustrated with Jesus. These people Jesus frustrated were all about defending the status quo. They were all about just keeping things the way that they were. They were all about saying, the way that we have it is the way it's supposed to be. And that didn't sit well. Gentiles were consumed with money. The scribes were consumed with the idea that we are the definitive interpreters of the Bible. Pharisees were very clear that there are people inside and there are people outside, and those people belong outside. Jesus encounters a broad swath of people and they are either attracted to him or they are frustrated by him. 
So why does this matter for us? Two chapters of the Bible, going through long lists of people, why does this matter? What matters for this? I saw this quote about six months ago. It struck me then, and I wanted to just see if it's true. A guy named Shane Claiborne says, those who follow Jesus should attract the same people Jesus attracted and frustrate the same people Jesus frustrated. Six months ago. Looked at it several times since then. I've questioned it. I've thought, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. When I started reading the Gospels and asking myself, what's going on in these stories? I see that Jesus is drawing to himself people that are desperate and frustrating those people who are getting in the way by defending the status quo. So when you get to us, as disciples of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, who are we drawing in and who are we frustrating? Are we reaching those who are desperate for transformation? Or are we simply aligning ourselves with those who are trying to maintain the status quo? I believe that we have not yet accomplished the mission that Jesus has given us. I believe that we still have lots of work in front of us that is yet to be done. I believe that in our nation, in our state, in our communities, there are people crying out in desperation and we have good news for them. We have tremendous news for them, but it has not reached them yet. Here's just one way that I see this problem. I think some of us are simply blind to the desperation around us. Who around us is desperate for transformation? When people in the community turn to opioids to help deal with their pain and end up addicted and in trouble, I think transformation is needed. When expectant parents do not see a way forward and are left to pursue abortion in order to deal with their problem, transformation is needed. When our kids see through the religiosity of church and do not see us living as disciples, and so they decide to leave faith altogether, transformation is needed. When immigrants have to fear being taken from their families, when they have to fear being arrested, not because they have acted as criminals, but because they know that aliens are not welcome here, transformation is needed. Church, when a group of black citizens have to rise up to remind our culture that black lives matter as much as any other life, transformation is needed. People around us are crying out in desperation. They are saying the gospel is needed. They don't know that's what they're saying, but our question is, are we reaching those people? Because that's who Jesus was reaching. Are we drawing them in? On the other hand, we have people defending the status quo, saying that what we have is good enough, and our question needs to be, are we frustrating them by not allowing that to be the case? There are people who are unwilling to hear the cries of desperation because from their ivory towers, everything looks perfect. 
There are people who are so comfortable with their lives and the way that they follow Jesus that they have totally missed the call to be a disciple and are just simply believers. But as we saw, even the demons believe. They know. There are people who are much more concerned with money, with the economy, with their bottom line than about any oppressed demographic of any society. There are people who can tell you about statistics and number and how the value of maintaining the law is more important than coddling a group of people, but they don't know a single person in the group of people that they're talking about. Everything's abstract, nothing's concrete. There are people like Jerry Falwell Jr. And I, I, I was tempted not to bring this up, but you got to. He's the president of Liberty University, the largest Christian college in America, one of the most famous evangelical preachers in the world. And he says in defense of the president, this is awful. He said, Jesus told us to love our neighbors as ourselves, but never told Caesar how to run Rome. He never said Roman soldiers should turn the other cheek in battle or that Caesar should allow all the barbarians to be Roman citizens, or that Caesar should tax the rich to help the poor. That's our job. And a guy, whoever Solomon is, is the guy that tweeted this, he said, let me help you. <laughs> Jesus said, love our neighbors as ourselves. That's our call. That's what we are here for. So if Jesus were to show up today, would he find among us the people he was reaching? Or would you find among us the people that are so fat, happy, and comfortable that they have become oblivious to the real problems all around us? What kind of people are we? The inconvenient truth is this. The status quo is not good enough. The reality is, the thing that Jesus was teaching when the Pharisees came up, is that everyone is desperate for transformation. They may not know it, but we are all desperate for that. And we, as disciples who are being transformed into the image of Jesus, we have good news for them. It is still good news that there is a better way. There is hope. There is transformation. So let's be a church that meets desperation with transformation that's only found in Jesus. No more defending the status quo. Let's follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we are in awe of Jesus. God, we don't understand fully all that it is to follow him, but God, some things you just make clear to us. Some things you reveal to us. And God, there are people who are desperate to hear about you, to know that you are good, to know that you care about them, to know that you want what is best for them. God, help us to be a people who can reach them. Help us to be a people who are so in tune with the world around us that the gospel shines forth. God, help us to be disciples by sharing our faith and sharing our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. Come get your Tupperware.